Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, we are continuing our study now in the the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're in chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. If you would, please turn your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. That's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you've got God's Word in your hand. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 5, let me review. We have been studying the Beatitudes within the Sermon on the Mount for the last several months. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' first public sermon to His disciples. And it's in this sermon that the Lord taught His disciples how to be happy. And that includes us today. How do we happy? So my question is to you this morning, are you? Are you happy? Praise God. We got one person who's happy in here today. (laughs) Yes! Thank you, Jim. I can always count on you. You got my back. I appreciate that about you. Seriously, have have you been blessed by by learning and applying these Beatitudes to your life? Now, as a disclaimer, one of the things that we've wrestled with is changing our definition of what happiness is. Because our definition of happiness usually depends on outside circumstances, We're generally happy based on our own comfort level, right? Is my health okay? Am I feeling okay? Check. I'm happy. Do I have enough money? Are the bills paid? Check. I'm happy. Are my spouse, my kids, my friends, are are they, is everybody okay? Are we doing all right? Check. I'm happy. And yet Jesus didn't talk about any of those things here in the Beatitudes. He said, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, you have to become poor in spirit. You have to confess your sin. You have to acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy before a holy God. He said, if you want to be happy, you have to mourn that sin. You have to grieve the love that you have for yourself and all of your selfishness. You got to repent from all that, leave your life behind, turn around 180 degrees and run into the arms of Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to be happy, you have to be humble. You have to live a life of meekness, meaning you got to lay down your pride. You got to stop complaining, demanding things in your life and start serving Serving those around you. Jesus said that if you want to be happy, you have to hunger and thirst, not for the temporary things of this world, but for righteousness. So in other words, we are to search and we are to live out the truth. The truth is why we're here today. The truth that is proclaimed uh, through God's word and through the life of Jesus. 
If you want to be, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, uh, we are to be merciful to others. We are to show people the same mercy that Jesus has shown us. Jesus said, if you want to be happy, you have to be pure in heart. And we talked about how as Christians, we can't mix the world into our lives, right? That's synchronism. We can't sync the world's things into our lives. If you want to be happy, you got to turn off the world. You got to open your Bible. You got to serve those around you. And finally, from last week, Jesus said that if you want to be blessed, we must not be peacekeepers, but peacemakers. We must address, we must call sin, sin. And we looked at a biblical definition of peace last week. We said that peace is not the absence of something like conflict. That's generally what we think of when there's peace in the home. There's a lack of conflict, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says it's not a lack of uh, the absence of something, but rather it's the presence of something. It's the presence of righteousness, and that was our key point, one of our key points from last week. Peace is the presence of righteousness, and we discussed the heavenly dichotomy of this, by, of this beatitude, and we said that presence, uh, the presence of righteousness, it usually leads to some type of conflict in our lives. Why? A key point number two from last week, a peacemaker addresses sin. The reason that a peacemaker first usually comes in the conflict is because he is addressing sin at some level. And when sin is confronted, then it's restoration that follows. You know, one of the many great things about preaching verse by verse through the Bible is that we can't ignore the hard text. We can't ignore the things that are uncomfortable. We must choose to deal with the things that we don't like. And Jesus preached these beatitudes for a reason. Each beatitude is, it is impossible for us to do on our own. A apart from him, we cannot do these things. And that's, that's part of the sermon, for us to realize how broken we are and run into his arms. So he intends us to hear and learn from him and, and apply these things and these principles to our life. Now, we're not going to do this perfectly, but we can do it increasingly because the Beatitudes are about priorities. And if and when you apply these Beatitudes to your life, you, you probably won't be surprised by this last Beatitude that we're going to study today. If we live a, a Beatitude-style life, Jesus says that we will be persecuted at some level. We've learned in our study that these Beatitudes, they build upon one another, don't they? So what Jesus is saying here is that if you actually apply the first seven Beatitudes, you will encounter the eighth. And the eighth Beatitude, it deals with persecution. It deals with insults and slander. Being persecuted for our faith in Jesus, you know, it's not something that we like to talk about. But we, we must. We have to. Why? Because Jesus does. So what does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness in our day and our time for us here living in Cottonwood, Arizona? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. 
Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 1 to give us the full context of this passage. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you, and they falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that is the word of the Lord for us here at River Bible Church this morning. Thank you, guys. Please have a seat. All right, let's take a deeper look here, starting in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed in the Greek is makarios, and it literally means happy. It means carefree. It means I, I don't have a care in the world. I, I am so fortunate. None of these outside circumstances are going to bother me. So why are these people happy in verse 10? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Uh, persecution in the, in the Greek is diako. It, it means to harass someone. It means to harass or to oppress or even to pursue people to drive them away. So this verse could be translated this way. Happy are those who suffer persecution because they they do what God requires. Or we could say happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake because theirs is the reign of heaven. Persecution is seen in, in nearly every book of the Bible. Persecution started shortly after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So we've got Genesis 1. We've got creation in Genesis 1. Uh, we, have a, we have a closer look at creation, uh, specifically at man and at woman and at marriage in Genesis 2. We have the fall, where Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3. And then when we get to Genesis 4, look at this, starting in verse 1. The man was intimate with his wife Eve. And she conceived, and she gave birth to Cain. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. So we have Abel, he's a rancher, and we have Cain, he is a farmer. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Abel also presented an offering. Some of the firstborn of his flock... And their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain in his offering. So God accepted Abel's offering of an animal, 
but he rejected Cain's offering of, of vegetables. So Cain, back to verse 5, Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. So in other words, his face fell. His countenance fell. He was visibly angry. Verse 6, then the Lord, obviously, the Lord saw this, and he says, Cain, why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do, look at the, the, the terminology here in verse 7. If you do what is right, in other words, righteous, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, unrighteous, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother and, and, and Abel. Uh, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So why did Cain murder Abel? Because Abel was righteous and Cain was unrighteous. Abel was accepted because of his right living according to God's standards, and Cain persecuted him for, for that. In the New Testament church, we see lots more persecution. The risen Lord um, had a conversation with a Pharisee named Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I'm Jesus. <laughs> I'm the one that you're persecuting. So persecution is not new within the Beatitudes. It's, it's found in nearly all of the 66 books of the Bible. But the question becomes why? Back to verse 10 to find out. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of righteousness. Righteousness is doing what God requires. We saw this with Cain and Abel. As we've also worked, kind of walked through the, these Beatitudes over the past several months, we've, we've also had to, to wrap our brains around the, the conflict that the Beatitudes bring into our lives, right? With each Beatitude, there's been a clash between what Jesus says and how we currently live our lives. But of all the Beatitudes, this last one, man, it seems to take the icing on the cake, doesn't it? This last one, persecution, it is the most incompatible with our human thinking. It certainly is the least desirable to sign up for. Nobody wants to be persecuted. And yet Jesus says, happy are those who are persecuted. Notice what Jesus is not saying here. He's, saying, he's not saying happy are those who are persecuted for any reason whatsoever. And he is certainly not saying happy are those who are persecuted for the consequences of their own sin. Christians who live righteously will inevitably, at some level, be persecuted for Christ's righteousness that dwells in them. Why is that? Well, it brings us to key point number one. Godliness triggers hostility from the world. Godliness triggers hostility from the world. We could say righteousness 
Righteousness in God. It does something to the world. Many, many times there's an instant visceral reaction when someone finds out that you're, a, that you're a Christian, that you love Jesus, you follow him. And it triggers the unrighteousness in them and, and they lash out. So back to our beatitude here in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So there, there's the promise. And what's really fascinating here is that Jesus comes full circle as he wraps up this part of his sermon. Notice that he says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So that should sound pretty familiar. The eighth beatitude, what it does is it points us back to the first. In verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So what exactly is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's a very real spiritual and soon physical place where Jesus is king. Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate here in John chapter 18, verse 36, and he says this about his kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, they would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So today, the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. So in a way, the kingdom is the church. The kingdom is in our hearts. It is revealed by how we, we treat others. But very, very soon, there will be a physical and a literal kingdom of God where Jesus will rule. He will reign for all the world to see. The, the next phase of biblical history is the rapture where Jesus will pluck the church from this world. It can happen at any time. Uh, the world will then experience seven years of tribulation, as described in the book of Revelation. Jesus will then return to the earth uh, with the church. For a thousand years, we call that the millennium reign, and that will be the start of a physical kingdom. So when Jesus does come back, everything changes. Until that time, though, the crowning feature of a happy Christian is persecution for living out your faith. Now, can you just imagine the look on the disciples' faces here as Jesus uttered those words as he's preaching this sermon? I'm kind of guessing they're looking at Jesus like you're looking at me. This beatitude is such a shock for the disciples, Jesus has to expand his teaching. He says in verse 11, he says, look guys, you are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. So this last beatitude really is two in one. And that's why it's three verses instead of one verse like the previous beatitudes. Blessed is mentioned twice. In, in verses 10 and 11, but only one attribute is given, and that attribute is persecution. So persecution is what ties all three verses together because it's mentioned in every verse, 10, 11, and 12. The reason that this beatitude contains two blessings is because God double blesses those who are persecuted. So Jesus expands his teaching in verse 11. He says, you are blessed. Jesus makes verse 11 personal. 
Jesus has been using the third person plural pronoun here up to this point with the rest of the Beatitudes. He says, they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be shown mercy. They will see God and they will be called sons of God. But now he gets the disciples' attention. And what he does, he, he changes it. He uses a first person singular pronoun. He says, you, you are blessed. Now that's a bit uncomfortable. It's a bit awkward. Most of the time when I preach, I, I try to be as gracious as I, as I can here. And I include myself in the preaching because uh, I must wrestle with these principles and I must confess my sin before I present all of this to you. So many times in my preaching, I will say we, right? Us. If I need to be a little bit more direct, I might say y'all. <laughs> but if I really want to get your attention, I'll say you. And that's precisely what Jesus does here. Verse 11, he says, you are blessed you are blessed when, when in the Greek is hoton, literally means whenever. So it could be read this way, you are blessed whenever. So think about this, Jesus himself was not constantly persecuted, and neither were his disciples. There were times of peace and even popularity throughout the Gospels. In fact, Jesus was a rock star at one time, the height of his, his popularity, so the idea here in verse 11 is that Christians will not be in a constant state of persecution, but whenever persecution does come, don't be surprised about it. Nor should we be resentful. We are called to endure whatever trouble comes our way. What kind of trouble should we be on the lookout for? Well, verse 11, verse 11 Let's us know here. You are blessed when they insult you, number one, when they persecute you, number two, and when they falsely say every kind of evil against you. So here we see this trifecta of persecution. There are three things that a Christian is to expect if he chooses to, to live a beatitude type of life. Number one, people are going to insult you. They're going to mock you. They're going to revile. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to point and they're going to laugh at you for your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The word there is onadizo. It literally means to sink or to cast their teeth into you or to cast in one's teeth. It's where they sneer at you. Jesus knew that insults were coming his way. He told the disciples in Luke 18, 32, he's talking about himself here. He says, he will be handed over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and insulted and spit on. So those things, they did happen during Jesus's trial. They also came true as he was hanging from the cross, as he was being uh, crucified, gasping for, for breath. Matthew 27, 39 gives us the details there. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him. They were shaking their heads. In the, in the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, but he, he can't even save himself. 
I mean, if he's the king of Israel, he said he's the king of Israel, let him come down now off that cross. And if he does that, then we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Well, just let God rescue him now. If God takes pleasure in him, for he said, I'm the son of God. Verse 44 to me is absolutely amazing. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. Even the criminals being crucified, gasping for their own breath, are taunting Jesus. They are insulting Jesus. That is unbelievable. The callousness of their hearts. Back to verse 11, you are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you. Once again, they harass you. Um, Jesus was preaching in a synagogue, Luke 4.29. After he gets done preaching, they got up and they drove Jesus. They harassed Jesus. They persecuted Jesus. They moved him out of town. They brought him to the edge of the hill that their, their city was built on. And they intended to hurl him over the cliff. Man, that must have been some good preaching. In verse 11, we see the third type of persecution here. So you are blessed when they insult you, when they persecute you, and they falsely say every kind of evil against you. So people will insult us to our faces, but now we learn that they will also slander us behind our backs. Jesus experienced slander as well. He says this in Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. He said, the son of man, that's him. That's a title for himself. Jesus came eating and drinking. And they said, right? They're talking behind his back. They say, look, this guy's a glutton. This guy's a drunk. And he's, he's a friend of all these, these sinners and these tax collectors. You know, in my opinion, being slandered is probably the most difficult on this list. If people want to mock or insult me to my face, okay. If people want to run me out of town for preaching the gospel, so what? But it, people run in their mouths, saying things that I never said or did, that one kind of stings. Or people taking things out of context, or they misquote you. Um, they hear something that wasn't said, that happens all the time. And all that stuff, all that talking, it spreads like gangrene. Here's the good news, those guys. Here's the good news. Key point number three. Persecution is evidence of salvation. Persecution is evidence of your salvation. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Why? To strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions, for these persecutions, for these harassments. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now, wait a second. Time out. Appointed to what? We are appointed to affliction and persecution. And in verse 4, Paul says, In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience this affliction. And as you know, it happened. 
So Christian persecution is not accidental. Suffering persecution is part of the normal Christian life. Today we live in America and we live in an abnormal Christian life. I think the reality of that is we've been living off the fruits of the last set of revivals. So we have not been persecuted that much in this country. For our brothers and our sisters in church history, and for those living in other countries today, the Christian life is way different. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him. Now these verses should be a grave concern for the, the famous Christians that are celebrated by the world today. These rock star pastors who, who never talk about the depravity of sin or the obedience that's demanded or the reality of hell. Why does the world like these guys? Because they're not offensive. They, they love to read their own headlines to say how inclusive they are and how tolerant they are. So the world loves them. And Jesus addresses this in Luke 6, 26. He says, woe to you. Guys, that's a curse. He curses them. Woe to you. When all people speak well of you, for this is the way of their ancestors, how they used to treat the false prophets. So there were false prophets back then. We've got false pastors today. You know what the false prophets did in the Old Testament? Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they both say this twice. This passage is in the Old Testament four times. They have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace. Don't worry about it. Peace. You got peace. When there is no peace, the false prophets, the false pastors say everything is just fine when everything is not fine. So in other words, to be a popular Christian among the world is to, is to have some type of compromised faith or no saving faith at all. Please know that when you see these guys, they're not sanctified celebrities here. A Christian celebrity compromises the gospel at some level. And the reason for that is because the gospel is offensive the idea of a true pastor being called famous or some kind of celebrity is repulsive to him. And it's repulsive because it really is demonic. Back to verse 11, you are blessed when they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say every kind of evil against you. Why? Because of me. Because of Jesus. Jesus is very specific here. Persecution doesn't come because you're a good person. Persecution doesn't come because the world perceives that you do good things or that you're a nice guy. Jesus says persecution comes because of him. And then moving on to verse 12, he says this. He says, be glad and rejoice. What? Why? Why should we be glad and rejoice? Because your reward is great in heaven. 
for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So look at this. We're commanded to be glad and rejoice for being persecuted. Hello. That's a bit odd. The idea here in verse 12 is to, to, when we rejoice, it's to get up, jump, and skip for joy. That's, that's the word picture here. Why? Why are we commanded to be glad? Verse 12, because your reward, your reward is great in heaven. Now, rewards are something that we usually don't talk about much. I think it's easy to fall into a works-based salvation mentality when we start talking about works. That is not what we're talking about here. These rewards that Jesus are talking about, um, they're based on the works that we do in the world today. Now, once again, these, these rewards don't get you to heaven. All right? We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But these, these works, they oftentimes, they do bring about persecution of some kind at some level. Um, you know, the, the way that I, at my first thought was, wait a second, we get rewards? We already have our reward. We already have our reward. It's a saving relationship with Jesus Christ for eternity. We get to see Him face to face. And yet, if that wasn't good enough... Jesus says that we will have rewards in heaven. That is unbelievable to me. So question, why does he give rewards away in heaven? I think because if, if we got them now, we might be tempted to serve for the reward instead of out of the love for our Savior. Back to verse 12. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in other words, when we are persecuted for righteousness, we're in good company. We're in the same company as, as our biblical heroes, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Peter, James, John, Paul. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the chapter of faith, and it ends by saying this in verse 36, Others experience mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds, that means shackles, or being handcuffed, uh, imprisonment. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins. Guys, they were destitute. They had nothing. They had nothing. They were afflicted. They were mistreated. And verse 38 is, it blows my mind. The world was not worthy of these men and women. Isn't that fascinating? The world is not worthy of these people. Persecution is a mark of our faithfulness to what we say we believe. So when we are persecuted, we shouldn't complain to God or other people. Instead, we should be encouraged because our faith, what it's doing, our faith is being worked out for everyone else to see it. And please know the world will never get this. 
They will never understand it because the world cannot handle righteousness. It repulses them. So no matter what the world does to us, it cannot and does not impact the promise of our salvation, the kingdom of heaven that is laid up for us. And it's in heaven when a Christian is rewarded for righteous living, for literally living these beatitudes out. So the question is, why must we be persecuted? Why? There's many, many different reasons for that. I'm going to kind of focus in on three. First, God is pleased when his people prove that they value him above everyone and everything else in the world. Persecution is a test of our faithfulness. Secondly, Christian character is matured through suffering. There's a maturity process that goes on as people make fun of us, as they laugh at us, as they roll their eyes at us, as they send us nasty texts, or maybe even become physically aggressive. Our, our character is matured through that kind of suffering. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 5. He says, we also boast in our afflictions. Why? Because we know that our affliction produces endurance. It changes our character. And endurance produces proven character. And proven character, it produces hope. And this kind of hope, it doesn't disappoint us. This is not as good as it gets. The life that you live now is not. If you're a Christian, that's the hope. The hope does not disappoint us. The Apostle James says it this way, James 1, 2, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know, <laughs> you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Once again, it's changing our character. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. So there is no end to how you may suffer because of your faith in Jesus. But the persecution is not what matters here. What really matters is, is how you face all of these things as they're coming at you. Thirdly, when the church is persecuted, it becomes purified. When the church is persecuted, it becomes purified. Those who are not committed to Christ and his church, they're going to they're going to they're going to leave. And what that does is it leaves more room for those who are who are called and who are saved to actually fulfill the great commission no matter the cost. We are to make disciples. We are to spread the gospel. And the church becomes this oasis of sanity for all of us who turn to Jesus. Second Corinthians 4.17, these are such encouraging words I wanted to leave you with today. The Apostle Paul says, For our momentary light affliction, it's light, 
It's temporary. What's, what's James say? Our life is but a vapor. How long is our life here compared to eternity? Unbelievable. For our momentary light affliction is producing, once again, it's changing us. As an absolutely incomparable, I love that. Absolutely incomparable. You can't compare it. Eternal weight of glory. So we're not going to focus on what we can see, but what is unseen. For what is temporary, for what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Father in heaven, thank you so much for allowing us to discuss things that we normally don't want to discuss. And we learn the, the, the passage of, of what it looks like to be persecuted and insulted and harassed and, and mocked. Thank you, Lord God, that you give us the privilege of gathering as your church, that we can learn your word verse by verse, so we can experience you in this way, so that now, this week, we can go and share Jesus day by day. And we can share Jesus with more boldness. When there's a God intersection, we can join that conversation. Or Lord, when you, when you give us the, the amazing um, divine disruption to our life for someone who is crying out for the truth, that we may stop everything that we're doing and minister to that person. And if we are persecuted, if we are laughed at, somebody rolls their eyes, someone walks away, we know that the saints before us are rejoicing in heaven because we're in good company. Father, we may, may we bless your holy name. May we be a light in this dark, dark valley. Thank you so much for the gathering of your church and teaching us your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. and amen.